Hi, and welcome to episode 130 of No Crying in Baseball, the bio bubble episode. My name is Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Well, I see Potty Mouth. Hi, Potty Mouth over there on the screen. Hey, way over there on the other side of town through the screen. I'm, I'm still trying to get used to this not recording together. It's it's weird. It's definitely weird. Everybody stay safe out there. That's what we're doing. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. What are you doing when you're staying inside? I've been, well, I've been watching movies, not as much as you. You've seen a lot of sports movies. Been seeing some, but I found the wonders of YouTube last night. I know I'm late to this game and that there are people out there who watch a lot of YouTube, but you can find such cool baseball stuff on there. I um, got to watch this highlight reel of the four no-hitters that Jason, Ver- Jason Veritek caught, and I thought that he still had the record for hit- catching no-hitters, but it was tied in 2015 by Carlos Ruiz, but that was such a happy, I mean, find happy baseball to watch. It really just made me feel better. Those were just such cool moments, and it was each ninth inning, and to see that ninth inning run and jump and hug. So that's that's my advice for this week is to watch happy baseball moments and to keep up on current baseball stuff, which we're going to get to much more in the episode But the other thing that I was shocked about was being impressed by Trevor Bauer. His video stuff is really kind of good. Have you seen it? I have seen some of his stuff. And I keep telling you, he has some major flaws, but he's also got some really compelling positives. Well, you know, what's super interesting is he one of the things I think you would really like that he posted was a conversation between him and his agent about service time and very much, you know, digging MLB on the whole thing. But his agent's name is Rachel Luba, and um, she is not a super well-known agent. And I saw a little article, uh, interview with her about how this came into being and what she thinks about Trevor Bauer, especially behind all his foibles. And I guess he, she became his agent fairly recently because she criticized him for that to-do that he got in on Twitter. But she pointed out that he really didn't get it. You know, when he had that exchange with the young girl and he blasted her stuff out and then she had to get off Twitter and it was just a big mess and it made him look like a real ass, misogynist ass. But he's really he was really clueless, which I think sometimes it's hard to understand. But as long as they do things that are better and make up for it and just his whole relationship with his agent, seeing the two of them talking together on this video gave me hope for Trevor Bauer that and watching that Sandlot game that he organized. So he could be a good guy. I don't know about baseball boyfriend material, but he could be a good guy. Yay. Welcome to my team. Hooray. (laughs) (laughs) We're happy to have you. On today's show, we're going to talk about sports in bio bubbles. We're going to talk about MLB the show, which is almost like baseball. We're going to tell you about Chef Jose Andres and the Nationals Philanthropies Feeding Those in Need. The minor league teams are getting the shaft again. No surprise there. And we're going to conclude our scorekeeping with a Blake segment with part three, The Reckoning. So on the on the lines of watching baseball, I, I'm guessing a lot of our listeners know that there is baseball happening with MLB players right now. It just happens to be the video style using MLB The Show. There's a tournament going on right now, and each team shows a player, maybe a player volunteered. Do you know how they were picked? Um, I hear that's a video game. Is that a video game? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is a video Thank game. You. I thought I said video. Sorry. Yes. Mm-hmm. Video game. One player per team. I don't know how they were picked, 
but they're playing each other on Twitch, which is that streaming place. This is all really new to me. Some, some of you might be experts in this, but you get on there to watch people play video games. And apparently this is a really big thing. It's happening at nine o'clock pretty much every night until April 28th. So get on there because there's actually some really fun people playing and apparently they are funny as well as fun. And we have a whole bunch of guys that we have picked on this podcast previously as being uh, no crying in baseball, baseball boyfriends. That would be the guys that are cool, not just because they're good on the field, but there's something fun or funny about them. So it seems like the perfect guy you'd want to watch play a video game. Uh, Our former, just to give us some credit if these guys do well, these are our former picks from our past seasons. You picked Nico Goodrum. I think that's Tigers, right? David, I had David Dahl from the Rockies. I have Jeff McNeil from the Mets. Wait, I have Jeff, Jeff McNeil. He's current, year. isn't he? He's yeah, current. that's what I thought. I put him on my, oops. Yeah, yeah he's current. Reese People Hopkins. come and go so quickly here. <laughs> we have so many boyfriends, we can't keep track of them. Uh, but your, your former Philly was Reese Hoskins, right? Yes. And I am super sad to say that my former Padre pick was Tatis Jr. Because I would love to keep him again. Just couldn't happen. Uh, But Matt Carpenter for you and Joey Gallo for me and Boba Fett or Boba Shett as other people know him for you and Juan Soto for me, which I think is going to be my pick for the tournament. Have you looked at the names good enough to make a guess? Like who who you got to bet on? I haven't seen who the matchups are. So I'm going to go with definitely skew it younger. I'm definitely mm-hmm. going to go with the younger guy for sure, because I hear they're better at these so-called games at this gaming thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So would you pick your younger guy? Like go with Boba Fett? Don't or- pressure me, man. All right. All right. All right. Don't to, pressure to me. I think it's kind of round robin that they all kind of play each other. I'm not sure how that part breaks down, but I do know that. There's money being raised for a good cause through this. So this isn't just for the fuck of it and to entertain us while we're all quarantined. But MLB, the Players Association, and Sony all are donating $5,000 for each player's local boys and girls club. And then whoever wins get 20, gets $25,000 for their local boys and girls club. Uh, a little bit of a nod to you, Patty. They decided to go with no DH for this. And that's the right way to play baseball, was. even if it's a video game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and the umps are accurate. So it's not like the random. I like you can choose that. I would <laughs> yes. like the umps to make the right call, please. <laughs> Is that hysterical? Oh, oh and apparently God. there's one more thing. There's a, a prime, ta- prime time stream, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, where fans can interact. And there's some MLB network broadcaster who's facilitating conversations. So you want to talk to your favorite player on Twitch? That's the way to do it. So we will try to help you out in the show notes with some links to get you started on this. But I think that every day is a new day as far as MLB The Show is concerned. Let's talk about playing some sports in empty stadiums or what we're calling them now is bio bubbles. The bubbles extend past the the ballparks and the stadiums and the basketball courts and the, the soccer fields to include the hotels and the restaurants and all the other things that help that will be part of making this go if sports around the world start happening again without fans present. So this is not just a baseball thing. Premier Soccer in England is still talking about maybe quarantining all their teams in one part of England. They are determined to finish their season come hell or high water, come pandemic or whatnot. So they're still trying to figure out how to do this. Fans are ticked because the fans are like, if if we're not there, it's not a sport. Don't bother us. You're just doing Mm -hmm. it for the money. And the teams, the, the, the league is like, we can't leave this 
the season hanging. We have to bring it to a conclusion. Nash, uh, the NBA is talking about maybe having a tournament in Las Vegas, which if you're going to pick a spot for basketball, that's a good one because not only are there basketball courts available, but there's also casinos with ballrooms. There's all kinds of places that can be converted into basketball courts pretty easily. And there's a bajillion hotels because you have to house Tens of thousands of people, like every team, but all of the support staff, all, you know, everybody that, that goes along with it. way too complicated. It's like, that's a lot of people who you have to be in it's, contact it's, it is, with. That's right. That's right. And they're talking about for this and also the um, the baseball plan, which we'll, talk to, which we'll talk about in just a minute, it's going to involve thousands of tests mm-hmm. and or tens of thousands of, of coronavirus testing kits. And can we afford to spend that on sports when there is a shortage for, you know, rank and file human beings who are getting sick? Maybe, maybe not, but certainly not right now. In any of these cases, this would be so far down the line because on all of these sports, everyone has taken a break and they're working out at home and you're seeing that on Twitter and they've like in their backyard, sure, but they're not playing their sport. So they need time to um, get back in actual fighting shape. Now, some of the players are like, well, I don't feel good about playing with no fans there. It's not saying let's bring the fans into a dangerous situation. They don't, nobody wants to do that. But like LeBron James said, what is the word sport without fan? There's no excitement. There's no crying. There's no joy. There's no back and forth. And he said, if we can figure out a way to do this safely, let's do it. But, you know, their hearts may not be in it without people to perform in front of people to play for that they can actually hear and see. All right, let's talk baseball. Here's the current plan. MLB has said they have not run this by the feds. They haven't run this by the Players Association officially. This basically got leaked. So they weren't ready to present it yet. But now it's out there in the world. And this is what it looks like. They're talking about having a bio bubble over Phoenix because there are 10 spring training facilities in Phoenix. There is Chase Field with a dome. There are college facilities. There's a lot of places where baseball can be played. Now, the trick is only Chase Field has a dome. The other ones would be open air. We're talking summer. We're talking 100 plus degree heat. We're talking 15 games a day, which means some of them will have to be played during the hottest part of the day. So that's kind of a downside just in that logistical, just like that little corner of logistics the teams would have to expand their rosters before the season starts because anybody that they would think, oh, maybe we'll call this player up from AAA because this guy sprained his ankle, they have to identify those guys ahead of time and they have to be quarantined in the bubble ahead of time. You can't be bringing people into your bubble. They're talking about each of these players and the support staff and the media and everybody living by themselves. So, That's a bazillion rooms. They're talking about social distancing in the park, which you could see the media doing and the the coaching staff doing. But and they said, oh, well, instead of being in the dugout, the players can be in the stands sitting, you know, several seats apart. What about the game? I mean, guys are on base next to the guy who's playing that base. There's a batter and a catcher and an umpire close together. You, You could only social distance so much. And that bubble cannot be secure. You've got support staff. You've got media. You've got food service. You've got the custodians. You've got the clubhouse staff. You've got field staff. And any one of them coming in, like, you know, breaking the bubble can affect everybody else. 
also, these guys are going to be sep- separated from their families for several months. I mean, they're away a lot anyway during the season, but they will be absolutely separated from their families. And if they're not, that means those families are going to be quarantined with them in a hotel room. So that's also bad. And people are like, oh, well, it's like World War II or 9-11, where baseball really helped us come together as a country and all of that. And I agree with that. I mean, how fun would it be to be able to watch baseball right now, right? Again, like we we talk about when we're scorekeeping, you'll hear about that later in, in the show today, how it helps us focus on something else for a little while. The difference between what would that this would be and World War II or 9-11 is there would be daily threat health threats to the players and the staff. It's not like there's a war going on the across the world. So let's take a, a tiny vacation and distract ourselves right now. This, these guys and everybody who supports them is going to be at risk. Um, in Japan, um, the Nippon Pro Baseball League um, started practicing in March in empty parks. They were screening players every day and the staff and the media. And within a week, three of the Hanshin Tigers tested positive and that team was quarantined. Wow. So, I mean, that happened that fast, right? Without in playing in yeah. basically a bio bubble, right? Um, even with that, the um, this Nippon League planned to have opening day on April 24th, and they finally just postponed that indefinitely. And they were the ones saying, nope, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's clearly not going to happen. The other thing that this affects are the minor leagues. Here we go with minor leagues getting the shaft, okay? Not only would the minor leagues not be a part of this because other than the guys they pull into the bubble right away, you don't have these, these other guys in the minors playing games and being available to get their call-ups, right? The major um, MLB and the minors are supposed to start negotiating the, the PBA, the professional baseball agreement now. And the minors want to postpone that because, Hey, there's a pandemic out there. And the majors like, yeah, that what we're talking about isn't going to change because of the pandemic. And also it doesn't benefit major league baseball to postpone these talks. Right. And the minor leagues are screwed because they don't get TV income. Anyway, the only way the minors get any income at all is people coming to the ballpark. And the point of the minor leagues is bringing together the communities, which you can't do because you can't bring your family to the ballpark. And so the minors are screwed. This is definitely pushing them towards that. Well, we won't need so many minor leagues. If this plan, this Arizona plan happens, this is really their way to test drive. Do we need the minor leagues, right? Yikes. I can't imagine it happening though. I haven't seen any players support it just anecdotally. mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't been reading a lot, but I haven't seen anybody support it. Do you know what? And and the ones who are, are single and they say, I don't have a family that I'm worried about and I want to play. If we can do it safely, I want to play. And most of the people want to play rather than not play. If they can do it safely, some have more confidence in the ability for this to happen safely than don't. But there are some, there are definitely a lot who are very strongly against it, mainly because of the danger to people who aren't the players. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of that out there. Um, uh, the president met with commissioners of 13 sports, 13 professional sport leagues. I didn't know there were that many in this country and said, well, you can't commit to fans in stadiums, but he's, you know, hoping that we can by, you know, later on. And he's really hopeful about the National Football League starting the season on time. And God bless the governor of California who said, not in my state. Well, if we're worried about football starting on time. Like if we're sort of convinced that football can't start on time, that looks really bleak for baseball this year. Doesn't well, it? Well, they're talking about football with no fans. Yeah, yeah, same. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean just 
baseball with no fans too, I think is what's going to have to happen for sports without fans, but it's still people. Like you said before, there's so many people involved and, you know, I know football has more contact than baseball, but like you said, there's still, it's still a bunch of people in a smaller area doing stuff together. It's, I don't know. It's scary. Luckily we have, you know, other things we can do. We can watch recordings. We can watch the MLB The Show. And a baseball league just started yesterday, professional baseball in Taiwan, which I didn't know about. But apparently it's the only game in town right now. So we can start watching it. And there's a great um, site that has all about how to watch different teams and how to stream it for free. And we will definitely include that in our show notes. But it started yesterday, April 11th, which was Saturday. Um, And it's without fans. So it seems like this is the first baby step, right? But this is Taiwan, which is relatively isolated from the rest of the world, if they can control people coming in and off of the island. And uh, they have few cases now. So the Taiwanese CDC uh, said that they had to have you know, closed, no fans. They have certain regulations with it. The, the baseball agency group itself wants to have some fans. And so what they're proposing is to let in 150 people, spread them out around the stadium, right? So that there's certain places where they can be. They they call it safe distance seating, make them wear masks and have no concessions open and screen people's temperatures, which we know is pretty faulty uh, going into the stadium. So that hasn't passed yet. They started yesterday with no fans, whether they're going to get to the 150 season ticket holders would be the priority people is yet to be determined, but I'm I'm feeling skeptical about that one. There are 13 professional sport leagues in this country probably watching that very closely. Yeah, yeah. But if you want to watch closely, there are only four teams. So make your pick and root for your team. There's the and and I'm my Chinese, not so good. So I'm not sure about pronunciation here, but Uni President Lions, they seem to be sort of the Yankees of the league because they've the one won the most championships. I always look for that personal connection. And this one um has a couple, Josh Renicky. And I looked at that name and I was like, I don't know how to pronounce it. And I should know how to pronounce it because it's the new acting manager of the Red Sox, is his uncle. Uh, is it Ryan Renicky? Shoot, I should really know that. Anyway, he um, plays for the Unipresident Lions, although he left for paternity leave and then did go back and had to be in quarantine. So I'm not sure if he's playing yet or if he's still quarantined or what happened with the rest of his family, but that's like the little connection that even though they've won the most championships, nine, I think I might be going for the Unipresident Lions. Your other options are the China Trust Brothers with seven championships, the Rakuten uh, Monkeys, who last year were the Lamigo Monkeys, and I guess that's a location change, no clue, six championships, and the last one, the Fubun Guardians, three championships. So pick your team, Root and get up really early because this is Taiwan time. I was just going to go for monkeys just because they're monkeys, but then you said get up early. So I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, we can, we can watch. I'm sure there's delayed opportunities there. We have a favorite local chef here in Washington, D.C., and you may have heard of him because he is a worldwide hero anymore. Chef Jose Andres, um, who started the, the World Community Kitchen who has fed Puerto Rico, who has fed Haiti, who has fed um, places in this country who have have been affected by wildfires and floods and hurricanes, has now developed a partnership with the 
Washington Nationals philanthropies to use the giant kitchens inside Nats Park as a community kitchen to create to make meals for the needy around Washington. Brilliant. So brilliant. They they are currently making approximately 5,000 packaged meals every day. They're all individually packaged. They think that they can get up to 50,000 meals a day. The people making these meals are a combination of World Central Kitchen. I'm sorry, I call it community. It's World Central Kitchen. World mm-hmm. Central Kitchen staff and ballpark staff working together in the kitchens. And there's you can read about all of the health and safety procedures they go through entering the kitchen to make sure that they are taking oh, wow. care um, of themselves and of others and protecting the food that they're making. It's underwritten by the Nationals Philanthropies. The food is delivered by Uber Eats. Um, Andres, Chef Andres has said in the past that sports, arena are, sports arenas are actually giant restaurants with entertainment. <laughs> so the great thing about the giant restaurant part is even like in, the, in other cities and even in D.C. for a while, he was using other kitchens. But the kitchens weren't big enough to allow for safe distancing between the people doing food prep. So you go into an arena or a ballpark and the the prep counters are gigantic. They go on for miles. And so you can space people out that much more safely. So the rule is that um, the people working in the kitchens can't be on the field and the stadium is not open to the public. It is a production and distribution site. And so far they've been distributing to public housing in the neighborhood. The Nationals Academy that works with kids, those families are getting meals. Seniors are getting meals. They're sending things to first responders, to hospital staff, they're also sending prepackaged meals to nonprofits like Miriam's Kitchen, like hunger nonprofits that work in the neighborhood so they can use them as part of their distribution. This is a very good model. Um, Chef Andre says he wants to, he's hoping other cities will pick up on using these ballparks, especially these publicly funded ballparks, as um, sites for this. And Camden Yards has already expressed interest in Baltimore, so that's kind of exciting. And I learned when I was reading about this that this is not new for Nationals Philanthropies. They last year started a partnership with a local nonprofit called Nourish Now, which does food recovery. They pick up excess food from caterers and from restaurants. Apparently, at the end of every homestand during the last regular season, Nourish Now picked up all the leftover food that didn't get sold, all the meals that were made, and distributed those to people who needed them. That's incredible. I love what that. A win-win that was completely situation. It was, yeah, it was it was completely like under the radar. And so they already know this is important and they've already committed to it. So hooray for the Nats Philanthropies and hooray for Chef Andres, who we love for throwing out a first pitch in the World Series, among um, other things like, you know, saving the world from hunger. So many good things. Welcome back to Scorekeeping with Blake. This is part three of our trilogy. We are completing our series with Blake, our friend who has been coaching us through scorekeeping. If you missed parts one and two, I suggest that you go back, grab your scorecard, press pause if you need to, and then join us to welcome Blake. Hey, Blake. Good to see you again. This is the end of a trilogy. Does that make this the return of the king? Nobody? Oh, really? really? No, Nobody? I, I got you. I'm just not sure I ever left. Okay. <laughs> okay, I mean, we're fine. All, we're all, it's coronavirus time. We're all quarantined. Fine. You can't return fine. if you can't leave. I am, I feel awful. I like want to come in with what happened after Empire Strikes Back, but I'm blinking. I'm such a sad excuse for not a nerd who hangs out with nerds. It's um, the Ewok one. It's probably your favorite. Yeah, oh, it that is. Hurt. Oh, Damn, I didn't want to be right about that. That's, right, also not, right. that's not a Star Wars movie, Return of the King. 
No, no, no. But it's another trilogy. I was just oh. doing a little bit of parallel because those two tri- gotcha. trilogies tend to be thrown uh, around my house a lot. Well, now it's, that a, like, it's, it's like a niner G, whatever that yeah, is. A G. <laughs> that sounds like an energy drink. <laughs> niner G, stay up all night. <laughs> all right, like, we have baseball. How do we do? How do we do? We've turned in our homework. We sent you our score sheets. I know I have made mistakes. I'm okay with that because I'm learning. No, I was I was very impressed overall. This is a very difficult game to score. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens in it. Can can I just want to do a back to what we're talking about from last week? You gave us homework assignment to watch a specific game. It was the September 3rd Mets Nats game because interesting stuff happened. So, between last week and this week, Patty and I each separately with our own scorecards without seeing each other watched the game. I think Patty had her homework in within like 48 hours and I squeezed mine in yesterday right before we had our planning meeting, but both of us have done our homework. And, uh, and we're ready to see the, the results. And my small caveat is I have never uh, actually scored a full game before. So this is my first attempt. Yes, yeah, so I was very impressed with the, the jobs that both of you did. It's, it's, I think it's very difficult to score keep watching on TV. I've, I did it along with you guys, too. I've never score kept to a game on TV. And there are tricky things you can't always see when there's defensive switches or what players' numbers are, you know, all these things that you want to keep track of or what the official score is, if it's an error or not, because they might talk about it, but it might not flash up. Um, But overall, it's a very tough game to score this one. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens. Um, Some plays that I've never even seen before in all my years of watching baseball and scoring baseball. Um, And so both of you, I think I'd give an A-. minus Because um, you both made – like two or three bigger mistakes. Oh, <laughs> big mistakes. Uh, Ouch. Did you get the red pen out? Did you circle I did get mistakes? the red pen out. Oh, I'm I so did. proud of you. So that I means did. you're going to send them back to us now, right? I should. I should. Yeah. I should like a passive aggressive good job with a little smiley face. Totally. Made of exclamation points or something like that. Yep. But um, next time you can do better. I'm sure of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can loan you my nice try teacher stamp. I used oh. to like when teachers would like work in progress. Exclamation <laughs> point. I have no idea what you're talking about. Just gold stars. Well, not, okay, I'm lying, but okay. So yeah, so it was weird. So um, before we get into specifics, Patty Mouth, you had some things that you had some feelings. I had some feelings. My you want to share your feeling, feelings? Yeah, my first feeling was dread. I mean, I think I had a little bit of procrastination there, but I was like, I looked at our practice notes from last week and I was kind of like, oh, fuck, I really don't understand what all of this means. And I didn't write write down my explanations really well, but I figured I'd just dive into it. And then when I had like no time, I started diving. I got confused with a couple of things. The position player versus jersey number thing, I could not reconcile, especially because of Anthony Rendon. I'm blaming it all on Rendon because his number is six, but he plays five. And I couldn't deal with seeing both kinds of numbers on the same page. So I just stuck with the position number, which ended up causing me some problems later, but it helped me calm down enough to actually attempt to do this. Because when you're putting the guy, little guy going around the bases, when they advance from base to base, you put a number next to it, right? saying who got them there. Like if they got on first, then you have to account for who got the person to second. So Blake told us to do it with a jersey number. It might have had something to do with me forgetting to write down their jersey numbers at the beginning of the <laughs> game, but that that that's part of it. Yeah. Um, 
the other thing, though, that I was really excited about was the lineup for the Mets. And especially as the game started with the Mets being ahead, that they're all guys that Patty and I had picked. Well, not all. The top five were guys that Patty and I had picked as baseball boyfriends in seasons past. So I thought, oh, no, this is a scary lineup. Plus, I am picking Mets pitching for this season whenever it happens. So I was a little nervous to look at my pitchers. Those were those were my first uh, reactions to the whole process. Well, for me, I'm mostly grateful that I could watch with a pause button. Mm. So I could kind of like freeze things for a second and catch up and just kind of think things through. Cause like I, I admitted on the last show, sometimes I lose track of stuff. Things happen quickly. I'm like, okay, hold on. I just need to catch up with all y'all. And I got to say the reason I did my homework early was so I wouldn't forget all the things that Blake taught us Good on the plan. last show. I wanted to do it while it was fresh. And I still apparently made lots of big mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I think he said three, three is not lots. Nothing, I think, I think three major. is totally reasonable. And I'm totally with you on the pause button. The frustrating thing with the recording, or at least the one I got was whenever I tried to rewind, it would replay a commercial. So then I oh. just, I was like, all right, screw it. Like I missed it. I'm just going to plow ahead, even though I hear a name that I wonder how he got in the game. That did happen. But yeah, onward, onward. Yeah. So each of us picked out a couple of plays where we already knew we had questions about them. They may or may not be things that we got right or wrong, but we definitely had questions. So if it's okay with you, Blake, maybe we can go through the ones that that kind of we flagged for ourselves and then you can interject the ones that you're flagging for us. Let's do it. Yeah. All right, we're putting you on the spot. My first right. one is is easy and, and stupid and simple. And it was just, there was a dropped third strike, right? So mm-hmm. so he struck out, so I would just put a forward K, but he also, you know, got thrown to first. So do I have to mm-hmm. make any annotation to, to about that throw out? Does it matter? Yeah. Actually, lots of credit to Patty. Here's here's a place I gave you bonus points. Um, wow. Patty actually did mark it. I, I like to mark it as a 2-3 or however the play plays out. Uh-huh. And that's okay. because in the case that there's an error or something, it's good to know how that came up. Um, you don't have to. And as I said last time, if the guy makes it safely to first on the drop strike three and there's nothing weird about the play, I just put a little K where I normally put like a 1B or however the play resulted. But um, I like to put the 2-3. I put it in parentheses. You don't, you know, you can put it on parentheses. You don't have to include it in all, but um, – for those who played along at home, this is in the the first out of the third inning um, for the Mets, Luis Guillorme. Yeah. Who I also gave the best beard of the game award to. His That's name's going to come out a lot. Yeah. yeah he's, 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 we're going to mention him a bunch. I have to say, and you mentioned this about the Mets. I, looking back, it's a good Mets lineup. Oh, for sure. And and I, I think this Mets team with the pitching and everything, one of these years is going to have to come around and, you know, shout out to all my Mets fans, friends who have been good and tuned into the show every time I've sent it to them. Oh, that's um, awesome. But genuinely, I think it's a, a good Mets lineup. And, and one of these years, they're going to have to get it together. All right. Maybe they can help me with my pitching if I have to make any substitutions. You guys are on your call for the Mets. All right. So staying in the third inning, in the bottom of the third, um, my past boyfriend it kills me to say that Anthony Rendon hit into a 5-4-3 double play so I know how to mark that in his square 5-4-3 but that also resulted in Cabrera being thrown out because mm-hmm. you know as part of the double play so I put a DP on the line in his box from 1B to 2B but I wasn't sure if that's how to show that he was the other out I do that too. I mean, for the most part, you usually don't really need to even show that because if it's a five four three, it's pretty logical to look up who was on going from first to second, you know, 
in that inning, but I do like to put that. Um, yeah, so I like to put that DP. Um, you don't have to because it's pretty logical to show who was on first from second. That's the only person that's going to get thrown out in the double play. I like to put it just because I do. When I do plays like that, like a stolen base or any way someone advances on their own accord or gets stopped, not necessarily because of another player, I like to put in parentheses who the player batting was. So right before that, Trey Turner stole a base. So I write SB, and then in parentheses I put 13 to show that that happened during Cabrera's at-bat. For a double play, you don't really need to do that, though, because you can only have one double play per inning. There's three outs, and that's two of them. So I usually just put the DP and don't worry about the jersey number. I got to say, I need a really fine mechanical pencil to be able to write SB13 in that tiny little space. The other thing I just wanted to mention about that stolen base, I'm glad you brought it up, is Mr. Pottymouth said to put a dotted line instead of a straight line from first to second. What's your opinion on that? I never heard of that before, but that's kind of a cool idea. I have no issue with that. I don't know um, where it came from. Well, it came from Mr. Pottymouth, but I don't know. the Mr. Pottymouth corollary is yes. what we call that one. Exactly. Yep. No, it's totally cool by me. I, I kind of like that. I don't think I could – honestly, I think I'd have more of an issue drawing a dotted line than like drawing the tiny numbers and letters. But if that's if that's um, what your style represents, like that's totally cool. <laughs> yeah, we actually, need bigger boxes. Yeah, because I actually did, so you didn't notice, which means that it was a very failed attempt. Hang on. Now i got to take a look get, at that. Right, get your magnifying glass, man. You can, you're not going to be able to see that. Oh, I just thought it was a printing like uh, – <laughs> Just oh, that's nuts. I see that now. But you did write SB, too. Yeah. 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 I get, I bet I didn't it. write 13. Okay. The reading glasses are getting a big workout for uh, for this whole situation. Can we move to the fifth inning? Because I think I know what I'm talking about here, but I want a clarification about fielder's choice. Mm-hmm. So in the bottom of the fifth, Trey Turner gets thrown out on a 6-3. But initially, it looked like the shortstop, who is um, our friend um, Giorme again, well, that's twice already we've talked about him, he mm-hmm. looked to third like he was thinking about or going to fake throwing out Robles at third, then turns around and does the traditional get Trey out at first. So I'm assuming that I just score that the regular 6-3 because it got the batter out. But had he thrown it and gotten Robles out, then it would be the FC is yes. that, am I on the right track there? Yes. So there's there's three things we can talk about here. There's a fielder's choice. There's the regular out when it's not a fielder's choice. And then there's a force out. So a fielder's choice is when the fielder chooses to get an out at a different base than first base, resulting in the player that hit the ball reaching first base safely. So it's not a hit, but he still reached safely. That's a fielder's choice. Um, That means that it can only be the first or second out. If it's the third out, it's not a fielder's choice because the person did not reach the first base safely. Now, this is where I disagree with the MLB app because sometimes you'll look at the app and to get the third out, they might throw the second base and they'll call that a fielder's choice. But if you look at the definition of a fielder's choice, that's not true. Um, if the MLB wants to contact me, we can chat about it further. Um, so, so going under my interpretation of a fielder's choice, it's only for the first or second out. In the case that a fielder chooses to go somewhere other than first for the third out, I mark that with an FO. 
Um, now, I know I use FO for fallout too, but that would be FO with numbers. So that shows fallout. Here, I would mark something like a 5-4 if they went to second base. Force out, just to show that they got the third out at second as opposed to 5-4. They got it at first, and there was a weird shift. There's a reason why the second baseman was at first. Um, but that's only for the third out. Otherwise, it's a fielder's choice. Um, but choosing to go to first base is never a choice if we want to think about it that way, because that's, that's the default play. So right. deviating from that is the fielder's choice. Otherwise it's just six, three, you move Robles to third and you put a little seven above it. Cause that was on Turner. Um, before that too, by the way, we can talk about the Scherzer play. Scherzer hit into a one, three. Um, he didn't really bunt it. It was a light tapper. Um, he hit into a 1-3, and that advanced Robles to second. This is the fifth inning. Um, that's a sacrifice, too. I know we usually think about sacrifices in terms of, of bunts and fly balls only, but but advancing the runner in such a way that, yeah. I got that. You did. Yes, you did. That's a sacrifice, so too. <laughs> oh, yay. Look at us being good. So now I, I wrote – I still wrote one three and then I wrote sack underneath it. Would you, how do you note it? Yeah, that's fine. Either one, three sack or sack one, three, however it looks good. Either way is fine by me. Okay. Um, I, I take that back. I fucked it up because I, I did write the sacrifice, but I only put it in the base running. I didn't put it with the one, three. I wrote SH for advancing from first to second. So I wouldn't put that in the base running. I would put that as, as the yeah. play because for statistical purposes, sacrifices are counted different than yeah. regular out. Um, so I would just put 31 over Robles's line and then write sack one three. No, I um, for a sack, I, I generally, the only thing I note is if it's a bunt, if it's a little tapper like this one was, or a fly ball, I just put sack and whatever the play is. I like to mark bunt when it's a bunt only because I think it's interesting to see when bunts work and not. Um, some people get really crazy if it's a suicide squeeze or a safety squeeze. They even mark that. Um, there was a question. That's the that, intermediate class, at least. That's yeah, got to be intermediate. I You're going to have to come back for that. There was a question at Winterfest during Bob Carpenter's session. Somebody asked, how do you denote a suicide squeeze versus safety squeeze? And I, we were all blown away because it's like, that's that's even too much for me. And I'm I'm already pretty deep in the hole here. So, <laughs> All right. All right, let's go to the top of the seventh because I want to talk about our guy, Guillaume, one more time. Okay, so Jeff McNeil is at bat and Guillaume gets picked off. So it's in McNeil's at bat, but it's the third out. So it ends the inning. So I know that McNeil comes back to start the next inning and I note the pickoff in Guillaume's box, right? Cause he's the one who got picked off. Do I do any notation at all to show McNeil was at mm. bat? Totally up to you. Yeah. So in Guillaume's box uh, next to the little first base, you put PO. I like to mark one, three. Um, and then I put in parentheses six to show it was during McNeil's at bat. If you can't fit all that, forget the six. Some people just will draw an arrow from McNeil's box in the seventh to the eighth just to show he was up, but it got moved over. I actually also marked the pickoff in that box because I like to see that he was up there. Um, in both and that's boxes, what, in McNeil's box as well, you're, you're saying? Yeah, so I actually mark it as that that was the play in McNeil's box. 
only because I like to see that that's where he batted and, you know, that's how it got carried over. Uh, um, and sometimes if I can't see the small print in Guillaume's box, or it saves me from writing the six in Guillaume's box, so I don't have to fit the PO13, and then I can see it was during McNeil. Um, also, if you care enough to know what the count that McNeil had when he got picked off, you know, that's another place you could use his box to mark off, you know, it happened when the count was two and one, and then he moved on. Um, I looked at, I, a lot of times I was comparing mine to Bob Carpenter's, who puts his on Twitter, and he uses just a tiny little arrow. Um, so it's up to you. You can put a big X through the box. You can draw, you know, it's whatever you want to do. I like to mark it in both places because it just makes sense to me. Okay. I feel good about that. Um, top of the eighth. So we have a pitching change that happens at the beginning of the inning, not during the inning. So Renis, mm-hmm. um, Elias, Elias, mm-hmm. Elias, Elias, help. Yeah, I, I think, think it's Elias. Elias. I really? I, I don't know. All right, we're getting let's get some feedback from the Mets listeners. <laughs> well, no, he said no, he's, he's a NASCAR pitcher. Oh shit. <laughs> he was the lefty we got at the deadline that kept getting hurt. So so, so do I have some excuse for not knowing him? Yeah. Yeah, right. he was he didn't play much. He's the one who like pulled a muscle running to first, and you gave me crap for a, a pitcher batting saying, see what happens. I remember oh, that very right. well. <laughs> Side note, I, I'm reading um, uh, Jesse Doherty, the writer for the Washington Post, just came out with a book uh, about the Nat season. And one of the things he mentions is Davey Martinez told him like several times in both Spanish and English, like, don't swing, don't swing, whatever you ah. do. Like they needed him to bat just because of the situation, but like totally cool if you get out. Just don't swing. Don't do anything that you can hurt yourself. Jesus. And he was coming off injury, and he swung anyway. So <laughs> to give oh me some credit here, don't you know? Anyway, our pal Rowanis comes in at the, t- at the top of the inning. Mm. So do I indicate that pitching change at the top of the inning? So at the over the first box mm. in the eighth inning, do I put the put that uh, horizontal line or do I do it like at the end of the previous inning to show that that pitcher is no longer pitching? I think it's whatever makes sense to you. I, I do it. So when it's the end of an inning for me, when it's not the top or the bottom, I actually draw it so that it carries from the end of the last inning to the top of the first inning. So my, my horizontal line spans two boxes instead of one when it happens at the end of an inning, because it was that guy's you know last at bat to the first at bat. Um, in this case, I'll I'll maybe put the line right under the F seven for for Nito or where yeah the F seven for for Nito and then one line right above the home run for McNeil. But it's okay. what it's whatever makes sense to you. However, that, I mean the whole point of doing it, you don't. There's no significance in doing it because really you should be able to look at the innings pitched and go back and figure it out from there. But of course that doesn't always work because someone can record an out and then a hit and then someone else comes in. So it's really just whatever makes it clear to you that that happened under a new pitcher. So that when you go back and crunch the numbers or want to know who pitched where you can figure it out. So it's whatever system, whatever looks clear. Okay. All right. So is this the play coming up in the top of the ninth that you've not seen before, which is the error that happened that did not affect base running or scoring? Yeah, this- I've never scored that before. So I, I what happened wanna- in the top of the ninth, Todd mm-hmm. Frazier's at bat. 
hits a foul ball. Matt Adams is going for it. He is given an error for missing the foul ball. Yeah, so he's running to get this foul ball, and Kurt Suzuki's running at it at the same time, and they don't communicate. But Matt Adams, it was kind of in his glove, and Suzuki really didn't knock it out. He kind of just dropped it. So Matt Adams was given an E3. But that E3 is just a drop foul ball. It's an out that should have been recorded but wasn't recorded. Um, As a result, though, nobody got to first base. Nobody advanced. So there's really no place to put it because it's not any play that's happening on the field to a player. It just happened in the middle of an at-bat. So what I do is I in, – in that person, that was um, Todd Frazier's at-bat. So in Todd Frazier's box, I'll put in parentheses E3 to Yay! mark that it happened during his play, which Patty did, yeah. And then he walks evidently, so then I'll just score it as normal, BB. And draw him to first. So now I'm totally confused because I put the E in Nito's box. And I don't know why I put that there. There wasn't another E. That was the only E. So how did I get that confused? Tequila. Had had, had Brandon Nimmo advanced from first to second? No, no. I put it in the bottom one in uh, Nito, who was DeGrom, took took DeGrom's place. Oh, I have no idea because that happened during Todd Frazier's that bad. I, I maybe you're you could have been watching the broadcast and they might have been talking about it during Tomas Nito's at bat. That could have been it. I was like, oh shit, yeah. I gotta put an E in somewhere. Yeah. That, that's oh, here's me. a spot. <laughs> totally. It fits here. <laughs> All right, Potty Muth, you had one more, right? Yeah. Bottom of the ninth. I, I just want to say help. I don't have like as as eloquently phrased questions as you. Bottom of the ninth. They so First, Zimmerman pinch hits, and then he gets on, and Mikey A comes in to pinch run on top of that. So that's all happening at one time. What do I do? How do mm-hmm. I do that? So actually, Again, you need a bigger box. Yes. We we had two pinch running situations in this. Um, so you have two options to mark the pinch runner. If you have big enough boxes where the names are, you can fill in the name. So I actually put in Taylor, three. PR nine to show he pinch ran in the nine right under um, Zimmerman's name. And then above second base, I just put the little PR. If hey, you that's what I did. If you don't want to go through the whole exercise of putting someone's name in, you can just do PR parentheses three, which is Michael A. Taylor's number to show he came in there. Or that three PR works, if you're me and don't think it through that clearly. <laughs> which is fine too. That That works when you have a guy that's just pinch running. And if he comes into the game, then you can fill him in and put on PR slash position. So that's what happened with Juan Lagaris. Um, if you go to the Mets side in the ninth inning, he came in to pinch run for Joe Panic. So that's right, the worst box in the whole thing. Yeah, because the then there was a box. wild pitch. That was yep. um, So just right next to first base, you can put PR parentheses 12 or just PR and then put him in as 12 Lagaris pinch runner nine for the ninth inning. And then you just put a slash in center field nine when he comes in, in the bottom of the ninth. So I'm moderately excited because I actually did the the one on the Nat side correctly, which is shocking. I did put, I wrote Mikey Andrews in and I put the PR in. And that was one of the ones where I just lost train of thought on the Met side. And all of a sudden this guy's on base and I don't know how he got there. So I put his name with the PR there, but I didn't know where to stick the PR in the box because I just missed it. So you actually did better than both myself and Patty there, though, because you caught the defensive change. 
That's because they um, put it on the screen and I hit pause. Yeah, and I missed that. I got the double switch, but <laughs> yeah, I missed no, the no guy props staring to me. in. No, you, you did good there. You did very good there. Um, I did want to mention, too, one mistake you made um, was was counting innings for pitchers. So I thought we might want to talk about that real quick. Um, yeah, I got, I got totally lost there. So what, what happens if you have a pitcher that comes in and doesn't record an out? That's technically they did not pitch an inning. We, we count innings by, by out. So, so one inning is one, an out is 0.1, two outs is 0.2, an inning and two outs is 1.2. I know that doesn't make mathematical sense, but that's, that's, that's how we represent one third, two thirds. Um, but what happens when you have something like Elias or, or on the Mets side, DeGrom? DeGrom pitched seven innings, came out for the eighth, and got pulled before he could record an out. How do we mark that? So I put a little plus mark next to the seven just to so I could remind myself that he came back in, um, even though I'm sure that the line in there is all I, I need in the seventh inning to show he got pulled before he made it out. But I still feel better putting a little seven plus. Nope, you did. You did the right thing. I put the plus in there too, um, and and Potty Mouth did this correctly as well for Elias, who pitched one inning, came back, didn't record an out. She had a one plus there too. Yeah. So you both did well there. Um, but I, I just wanted to mention that as well. Yeah, I just missed it on Degrom for some reason. I thought there was an out there, but oops. Yeah. Yeah, and I refuse to use those decimal points because they make me mad mathematically. So I just put one third and two thirds and all of that. That's the I, right thing to do. I like that. No, I'm with you. I agree with you there. <laughs> I used to, when I was a kid, it took me a long time to learn it because when I saw the point one and point two, I thought, do they sit there and like count the number of batters in that inning and then divide it and round and like, should it really be point six? And like, what am I doing wrong? And There are math implications there. I'm with you on that. Sometimes baseball is just silly. <laughs> often, often. So I have been inspired to order a scorebook, and I'm going to practice some more during our um, our quarantine by watching the playoff games as soon as my scorebook comes. And I want you to know that Amazon apparently believes that scorebooks are more important than novels because I ordered a combination of things, and my novels are going to come two weeks after my scorebook shows up. I can't explain that logic. But next week I will have a scorebook and I'm going to practice a lot because I really had fun. And the thing that this did for me was it really helped me um, focus on something that wasn't the horror of the world outside for a little while. It was uh, because I was learning something at the same time I was doing this. I think it really helped me kind of give my brain a different kind of rest, you know, than than reading a book or, you know, doing whatever does for me. It was like, okay. I'm accomplishing something. I'm learning a skill. I'm focusing on this thing that I love and the world can just wait. It'll still be there in a little while. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. And I've been, you know, rewatching some games, but this was totally different. It really forced me to focus and put, you know, be present, which I think is a good thing, especially in these times. But it made me look at the game differently than just sort of hanging out and watching it and chatting in between plays and stuff like that. Yeah, I think for those who love it, they really catch the bug. And, um, you know, if you don't, I get that. And that's totally cool, too. Um, I always I just find it relaxing. And um, I totally agree. It was a really kind of fun escape. But um, once you catch the bug, I think you really catch the bug. And uh, clearly, it's good enough for Jeff Bezos. So it's good enough for me. Hey, Blake, <laughs> if, if any of our listeners want to contact you with their questions about scorekeeping, how would they reach you? 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Speaker of the Kraus, which is my last name, Kraus, or on Instagram at his name is Blake. Um, and you can just uh, message me there, and I will be happy to get back to you and answer any of your scorekeeping questions. Um, and you guys can include those in your show notes if you want. Cool. Will do. Thank you. That's pretty cool. Okay, anything we missed, Blake? Any any final scorekeeping words for us or for listeners? Have fun with it. Find your own own style. It's as much of an art as it is, you know, structured. It's it's um, in the vein of, of how Japanese chefs learn. You know, you learn the techniques, and then once you've you've learned the proper way of doing things, you sort of have the cultural permission to improvise. And that's kind of what scorekeeping is. Take the roots and. Uh, make it your own from there. And uh, thank you guys. This has been so fun for me. I'm so sad it's over. And uh, uh, you know where to find me if you ever have scorekeeping questions. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being with us. It was it was really fun. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. The part with talking with you, I knew would be great, but the actual trying to scorekeep, I want to get colored pens. That's my goal. <laughs> I'm getting verklempt. You guys are too kind. <laughs> Thanks, Blake. You take care. You stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. Same to y'all. Take care. Bye. Bye. So thanks again to Blake. I'm going to wait for my um, my scorebook to come so I can watch all of the playoffs from last year on MLB and practice keeping score even if it is just on television. What are you going to do, Potty Mouth? I guess watch more stuff. I feel bad because I talked about the MLB The Show and the Chinese uh, Professional Baseball League, which is in Taiwan. And I haven't actually seen them yet. So that is my homework. Before next week, I will have watched both of those things and I will report back to the class. Most excellent. In the meantime, please listen to some past episodes. Tell your friends if you think they'd like to hear us talk about some baseball. And Potty Mouth, where can people find us on social media? Find us on Twitter at NCIB Podcast or Facebook and Instagram at No Crying and B-Ball or drop us an email at ncibpodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, please wash your hands, wear your masks, social distance, and until next time, say goodnight, Potty Mouth. Goodnight, Potty Mouth. <laughs> <laughs>